0: S.E.P. Fanfic Readings Presents Osculum Enum By My Delphi Chapter 10 Eighth Year Life after the Second Wizarding War was... strange. Emotions were battling each other. A constant whirlwind of euphoria that they had survived and won was overshadowed by the grief and the number of lives that had been lost. There were more celebrations and funerals. Laughter and tears those who had won everything, and those who had won everything but lost everyone in the process. There were orphans, widows and widowers, parents who had lost their children, and families that had been torn apart. Some had fled to the continent and were now returning. Others tried to flee as the newly instated minister, Kingsley Shacklebolt, set the oars on the loose. Hermione got an order of Merlin first class. Two dozen offers from the Ministry promising her influential and important positions, either now or after she had taken her newts. Masters approached her, offering her apprenticeships in almost every field, ranging from transfiguration to potion-making and arithmancy. She even got her portrait taken for a bloody chocolate frog card. She was a collectible now. There were visits to the Ministry to be paraded about. The moniker of the brightest witch of her age, golden girl, and war heroine was thrown about, and she had to shake hands with some of the most significant members of the Wizarding Society. At least those who weren't hiding from the oars after their side had lost. All the while there were hospital visits to her former professor, who had not taken kindly to his survival or Harry's report to the Prophet about him having been on the side of light the whole time and fooling Voldemort. He had sneered at the title of war hero, and expressed his disdain that she had saved his life. That didn't stop Hermione from visiting him daily, each time eyeing the growing pile of gifts, flowers, and cards with silent amusements. On some days, Snape tolerated her presence for more than ten minutes. On others, he only tolerated her long enough for her to hand him a copy of the Prophet, or whatever other paper she had picked up that morning before he ordered her to leave. Harry told her she spent too much time at St. Mungo's, To which Hermione had pointedly raised an eyebrow because Ron practically lived at Lavender's bedside. They had both been immature and childish when they had first gotten together, both motivated by all the wrong reasons and bound to be unhappy at some point. But now things were different. War had forced them to grow up. And Ron was unfazed by the scars marring Lavender's pretty face and neck. Meanwhile, the one time Hermione had stopped by Lavender's room after Snape had kicked her out, Hermione had noticed that Lavender had lost her hero-worship. There was a quiet fondness in her eyes as she looked at Ron, and when her gaze had met Hermione's, her bandaged face wasn't twisted in jealousy. Hermione's own love life was slightly more complicated, but only marginally. The oars had raided Malfoy Manor within days of the end of the war. From what Hermione had heard through the grapevine that was Arthur Weasley, Lucius Malfoy had calmly awaited them, having used the time to clean himself up, Get his affairs in order, and write a testimony in which he requested that the blame lay solely on him and that his wife and son be spared. It hadn't stopped them from arresting Draco as well, while Narcissa, having not been branded with a dark mark, was placed under firm house arrest and guarded by no less than three oars at all times. The moment Hermione heard about the trial, she started writing her testimony. It had been sixty pages long, and none of her friends had been willing to read through all of it. So she had taken it to Snape, who had given a long-suffering sigh and argued that this would even out the life debt he owed her. When Hermione had mentioned that she was quite pleased with how high he thought of her writing, he had quickly retracted the statements and kicked her out of his hospital room. But not without snatching the stack of parchment from her. When she had visited him the next day, he had ordered her to shorten it to five pages. They had compromised on ten. Upon sending it to the Wizengamot, She had also declared that she would speak at the trial. Harry had as well. She testified to Draco having saved her life multiple times, leaving out whatever it was between them because the Wizengamot didn't need all the details. She had argued in his favor, spoken favorably of his character before fiercely defending Narcissa and Lucius Malfoy as well. The entire time, Draco never took his eyes off her, and it was difficult for her to focus on anyone but him. The fact that they had saved her life. Harry's life, and defected at the right moment, tipped the scale in their favor. Life sentences in Azkaban were reduced to house arrest. Three years for Lucius Malfoy, one year for Draco, with the requirement to finish his studies from home and graduate with good newt results, and for Narcissa, half a year of house arrest. During that time, they weren't allowed to correspond unless strictly necessary, and even then it would be tightly monitored. Hermione knew that the day at the trial would be the last time she saw Draco for a while. He would be locked in his manor for a year, and she would be hidden away in a castle, repeating her last year with a handful of other students. Neither Harry nor Ron returned with her, both accepting the offer to join the aura department immediately. Hermione was fine with that. She missed them terribly, but they knew about her and Draco, and she didn't want to spend the year receiving knowing, pitying looks from her two best friends whenever she was quiet because she was worried about him or missed him. The other students took it as a sign that the war had left traces on her, chalking it up to having seen too much death and destruction. That didn't mean her year was normal. It was, for the first time, a year without mortal peril, and during which she dutifully attended her classes, did her schoolwork, and scored house points. All the while she didn't have to break a hundred school rules and a few wizarding laws by brewing polyjuice potion or sneaking into prohibited areas to steal a rare magical artifact before it could be stolen by a not-quite-as-dead-as-everybody-had-hoped-he-was Voldemort living on the back of a head. But the lack of life-and-death situations didn't mean that she was a regular student. The rest of the student body had put her on a pedestal, and even her professors had difficulty treating her like a student, and not the war-tired adult she was. The only ones who didn't act like she was some sort of legendary creature were her few friends that had returned as well. Still, It led to her having a lonely last year, with far too much time for her to think about a certain wizard. Around Christmas, which she spent at the newly rebuilt burrow where everybody tried to be as happy as they could and not allow the glaringly empty spot next to George to subdue their mood, Hermione got an owl. It was a graceful barn owl, with gleaming feathers and large, intelligent eyes. It regarded her almost haughtily as it had held out its right leg, and allowed her to untie the small package wrapped in green, glimmering paper. A silver bow tied a rolled-up piece of parchment to it. As she unrolled it, the subtle scent of roses filled the air. Scented parchment, embossed with a vaguely familiar crest. Her eyebrows raised when she realized that the dainty handwriting had belonged to no other than Narcissa Malfoy, who had finished her house arrest and was no longer prohibited from corresponding with whomever she chose, without ministry officials poking their noses into it. In her letter, she expressed her gratitude for all Hermione had done for her family. It ended with an invitation for her to visit her for a cup of afternoon tea after she had taken her newts. It was quite a surprise, but nothing compared to the surprise when Harry walked into the room and asked her whether Narcissa Malfoy had written to her as well. Although he hadn't gotten an invitation for a little tea session. Hermione didn't know what to make of it. The parcel, on the other hand, was a little more self-explanatory. Upon taking it from the owl, it rapidly grew until it was roughly the size of a book. And when she unwrapped it, she discovered a flat, velvet box. It contained a necklace. A delicate, silver chain with a diamond pendant. It matched her bracelet perfectly, and hummed with magic. She knew who had sent it, and it silenced the whispers of doubt that plagued her at night. Because what if... After everything that had happened, it just wouldn't work. Was it possible for both of them to have a future together? Merlin, did Draco even like her or was his infatuation gone now? Could they even be in love with each other if they had never even had a full conversation? Hermione tried to ignore her insecurities and her anxiety, but as her graduation approached, she found herself torn between looking forward to seeing him again and worrying that she was imagining a future that would never come to pass. That she had fallen in love with the idea she had of Draco Malfoy, not the actual him. That everything had only happened because they had tried to escape the harsh reality. And now that the war was over. Harry had moved into Grimmauld Place almost as soon as the war had been won. The Weasleys had stayed with him for the time it took to rebuild the burrow before they had returned to their home. Except for Ron, who had taken residency in one of the spare bedrooms. And Ginny who had first returned to Hogwarts, and upon graduating, followed her brother's footsteps and moved into Grimald Place as well. Only she didn't take up a spare bedroom, but shared Harry's. Much to Molly's dismay, who was dropping increasingly unsubtle hits about marriage and how things needed to be done properly. Hermione found it vaguely amusing because Bill Weasley had been born just five months after Molly's wedding to Arthur, which allowed for some speculation about just how much Molly had followed the idea of purity before marriage. However, it only took one surprise visit from Molly for the Weasley matriarch to keep further comments to herself, because she came across a ruffled-looking lavender brown, wearing nothing but one of Ron's Chudley Cannon shirts. Hermione had originally contemplated moving in with her parents after graduating from Hogwarts, until she had figured out whether she wanted to pursue a mastery or start at the ministry. But although they had regained their memories and returned to England eagerly, they were at odds with the memories she had created. At times, the thought of having a daughter was disconcerting, and their lives in Australia were too present. They had assured her that they loved her, and would gladly have them in their home. But Hermione had declined. Instead, they had settled on sessions with a renowned mind-healer from St. Mungo's, who was optimistic that he could disperse those lingering feelings of wrongness and not belonging within a few months. It was the best solution for everyone, and when Hermione had asked Harry if she could stay at Grimald Place for a while, she hadn't even gotten to her offer of paying rent before Harry had already insisted upon her moving in. And since she wasn't allowed to pay rent, Harry's orders, Hermione spent the weeks waiting for her new results organizing the vast Black Library. Staying at Grimald Place was mostly pleasant, except for Walburga Black's portrait screeching at her every time she used the front entrance. Damn those permanent sticking charms! And except for the fact that she was living with two couples, who were both sickeningly sweet and terribly in love. She was an adult now. They all were. Some of them had actual jobs. They were free to do whatever they liked, with no war to stress them, or a cantankerous caretaker or obnoxious poltergeist stalking the corridors to send them off to bed. But being an adult meant more than staying up past bedtime, only to regret it bitterly in the morning. It also meant facing things that were vaguely uncomfortable whether it was realizing that the job one had enthusiastically started wasn't one's true calling after all, and having to confess to one's mother that one would start helping out back at the joke shop, Ron had been hounded with howlers for a good week, and Hermione's ears were still ringing from Molly's rant, or being sat down by one's best friend for an intervention because enough was enough. Hermione was almost upset that there was no official intervention banner when she entered the library, and found Harry solemnly sitting in one of the armchairs a tray of tea waiting on a small side table for them. Hermione, he began, his face unusually serious, and motioned for her to sit down as well. She had, eyeing her best friend like he had grown a second head. It was still disconcerting to see Harry act like an actual adult when it felt as if he had been yesterday that she had come across him on the Hogwarts Express, with his baggy t-shirt and unkempt hair, his green eyes large on his thin face. At times, when he had to go to work, Hermione had to fight the urge to go with him so she could protect him. Harry? she said in return, clutching the book she had intended to put back on the shelf protectively against her chest. She had a suspicion about what Harry wanted to talk about, and she wasn't ready to have that conversation. Not yet. Perhaps tomorrow, or the day after. I came across a file today, Harry mentioned conversationally as he poured her a cup of tea. Now that all the Newt schools have been posted, We got an interview showing us the rankings and who might be suited to join the ore department. We will be sending owls with recruitment letters over the next few days. Oh? Hermione took the teacup and added a splash of milk. Will I get one? Undoubtedly. Harry's eyes flickered to the stack of letters that had arrived for her just that day. Ever since her scores had been posted, she had been offered countless ministry positions and even more apprenticeship positions. It had even contained a short note from none other than their former professor, in which Snape almost congratulated her on her perfect potion results, only to mention that brewing Draft of the Living Dead was a rather simple task, so she shouldn't let it go to her head. He had also added that, life-dead or not, he would not be taking her, or anybody for that matter, as an apprentice. As much as Hermione liked potions as a class, she was aware that she wasn't cut out to pursue a mastery. She was too fond of following the textbook, or searching for alternative, but already proven, methods to accomplish better results. Did you know who scored perfect O's as well, and was second in our year? Going far beyond the required grades to finish his house arrest? Harry continued to prod, and Hermione tried to keep her face carefully neutral, while her heart was speeding up in her chest. I can think of a person or two? She tried to deflect, avoiding Harry's calm and knowing gaze. I can think of only one person. He said, "He did so well that the head of our department considered offering him a position. He would never be allowed in the field, of course. But Harry raised his hands defensively when he noticed Hermione's angry glower. Don't worry, I convinced him not to send an owl. He soothed, but Hermione didn't stop frowning. The thought of offering Draco a position where he would fill out paperwork for the Aurors who had arrested him and his family was... Oh, Hermione would write a strongly worded letter to Kingsley. She was a war heroine and enough of a Slytherin to use that influence and status to protect those she loved. A hot blush made her cheeks flame. Those she loved? Quickly, Hermione took a sip from her teacup, hoping it would hide her red face from Harry. How long do you plan on avoiding him? I'm not avoiding anyone, Hermione protested immediately, but her words sounded weak even to her ears. I'm merely taking some time to contemplate things. Hermione. Now Harry was frowning. I know that Malfoy was... difficult. And I have no idea why or how this thing between you happened. But if you don't feel anything for him anymore, that's fine. I think... I think you would understand and respect it. That's not it. Hermione began to gnaw on her bottom lip. Then she sighed deeply. We were children, Harry. Thrust into something none of us understood at the time. Tasked with things those three times our seniors failed to do. And I don't know if whatever happened between him and I was because it was real, or because we needed something to distract us from everything that was going on. I would rather remember it as something real than know it was nothing special after all. For a moment, both of them were silent, and then Harry cleared his throat quietly. I saw the way he looked at you, outside the room of requirement. And when I thought about it, I realized that he had been looking at you like that for a while, even if I hadn't really understood it before. He smiled crookedly. I know that sometimes I'm pretty oblivious to things, but if even I noticed it, then it was definitely real. Hermione didn't know what to say. Her heart was beating wildly against her ribs, and the ball of anxiety that had been churning in her stomach for days now made her feel vaguely sick. There was a faint ringing noise in her ears. At least send him an owl, or I will be forced to invite him for dinner and make sure to tie you to a chair so you can't avoid him. His brows furrowed slightly. Oh, maybe not. Sounds like something he might be into. Harry! In the end, it was a conveniently placed letter that made Hermione apparate to Wiltshire. Harry had penned an actual dinner invitation and put it on the kitchen table, leaving it for her to find when she came downstairs to make herself breakfast. Hermione had quickly vanished it before she had stomped upstairs to change at least six times. After five different makeup charms and trying a dozen hair charms, she had given up and climbed up one floor. Where she knocked decisively on Ron's bedroom, knowing very well he wasn't home. But it wasn't him she needed to talk to. I need your help, she had said with an air of defeat around her, and Lavender Brown had squeaked in her typical Lavender Brown way and marched Hermione back into her room, picking up Ginny along the way to take charge of her wardrobe. Hermione had somehow weaseled her way through hundreds of questions about who her mystery beau was without revealing his identity. Not lost her patience when Ginny and Lavender had gotten into a fierce argument about whether she should be wearing the white or blush-colored summer dress. The blush one had won, because, as Lavender had winningly pointed out, it hugged her waist nicely, was short enough to enhance her legs, and the V-neckline did wonders for her chest. She had only had to put her foot down once when her friends had tried to convince her to put her hair up, insisting that she would wear it down. In return, she hadn't protested when Lavender had dangled a pair of cream heels in front of her. I want you home by midnight. No untoward behavior under my watch, young lady, Jenny had said when Hermione had grabbed her wand, doing a scarily convincing Molly Weasley impression. She had rolled her eyes while Lavender had giggled and disapparated with a crack. The heels had made her stumble slightly when she landed outside the wrought iron gates, which swung open with a low creak. Swallowing her nerves down, she followed the wide path leaning towards the estate, forcing herself not to flinch when the gates closed behind her. The thought of coming back after what had transpired the last time, and after what Bellatrix had done, had frightened her at first. But Malfoy Manor looked much less intimidating in daylight. It was outright friendly and welcoming. She had noticed the estate's beauty, even when they had been dragged towards the house by the Snatchers, thinking this would be it. But now she wasn't being dragged by Voldemort's loyal followers. Instead, she had come in on her own. She was in control and as long as she wouldn't find herself in the drawing room again, she would be fine. And it truly was stunning. She still expected Mr. Darcy to suddenly around the corner, wearing nothing but breeches and one of those period drama shirts. Maybe a damp one because he had taken a swim in one of the many ponds that were framed by perfectly placed trees and bushes. Due to it being the height of summer, the flowerbeds weren't in full blossom anymore. But it didn't take from the beautiful, almost tranquil atmosphere. A soft breeze made the trees rustle and carried the high calls of peacocks. Hermione spotted at least ten, all of them strutting through the gardens with suitable arrogance and haughtiness. Although she couldn't hear any moon calves calling this time, there was a distinct whinnying in the distance, and it wouldn't surprise her if Lucius Malfoy was the kind of wizard who owned a few unicorns that suitably matched the aesthetic of his estate. That made her smile, but it quickly vanished as her nerves took over again. What was she doing? Why had she thought coming here was a good idea? She should have simply written Draco a letter and waited for a response. I should leave, she said to herself, but she had already reached the manor. Surely someone had been alerted that she had stepped through the gate. Maybe she had already been spotted from one of the countless windows. If she left now, it would be too awkward. No, she was a Gryffindor and a war heroine. She would not run away now. Stealing her spine, Hermione climbed the steps toward the front door and reached for one of the heavy door-knockers, thick rings held by snarling viper heads. She only dared to knock twice, and then she quickly lowered her hand and waited. The urge to flee grew again, but before she could give in to the temptation, the door swung open. Hermione had expected a house elf. She knew that Dobby hadn't been the only elf owned by the Malfoy family, but instead She was faced with none other than Lucius Malfoy, who looked down his nose at her. One eyebrow twitched ever so slightly as he regarded her with those hawk-like eyes, and then his lips curled into a faint... smile? Ah, Miss Granger, he said, opening the door wider. Please, come in. Thank you, she croaked stiffly and stepped past him into the large entrance hall, interlacing her hands so he wouldn't see them tremble. I take it that the purpose of your visit has to do with my son. Mr. Malfoy drawled as he looked her up and down. There was still no disapproval found in his eyes. No disdain or barely hidden hatred. He looked rather contemplating. Yes. She straightened her shoulders slightly. Although she still thought him to be an intimidating man, he had saved her life. Even it had only been for the sake of his son. Very well, Lucius Malfoy said, tapping his cane against the stone floor follow me. Swallowing tightly, Hermione did. She had expected many things when she thought about returning to Malfoy Manor, but she hadn't expected Mr. Malfoy to escort her through his home. If anything, she had expected him to shut the door in her face, or maybe offer her financial compensation if she never talked to his precious pure-blood heir again. Maybe those expectations hadn't done him justice. As she followed through the maze of wide and decadent hallways, they walked past countless portraits containing blonde-haired witches and wizards who were peering down at her curiously and whispering to one another. Some followed them from portrait to portrait, and one witch uttered the word, Mudblood, under her breath. The curtains on her portrait fell shut before Hermione could feel offended. She saw how Mr. Malfoy sheathed his wand in the ostentatious cane again. Had he silenced the portrait? You have to excuse my great grand she is rather set in her ways. I suppose we could put her portrait in the east wing. She shouldn't bother you there. He mused thoughtfully. Hermione, still not knowing what to make of his words or behavior, merely nodded again. To her relief, he refrained from any small talk. The silence stretching between them, only broken by their muffled steps, was rather welcome compared to the thought of trying to chat about the weather. He seemed like the sort of man who chose his words carefully and manipulated every conversation into having some sort of purpose that was undoubtedly advantageous for him. But the lack of small talk didn't mean that the older wizard was ignoring her. Hermione was well aware that he was closely scrutinizing her as they walked through the manor, and the one time she dared to glance up and meet his king, calculating eyes, he looked vaguely amused. It was strangely disconcerting, because as much as she tried to ignore the similarities between father and son, his fleeting smile reminded her of Draco, and made her heart skip in her chest. Draco? Oh, Merlin, she was about to see him. All color drained from Hermione's face. She had been so preoccupied trying to analyze Mr. Malfoy's behavior that she had almost forgotten where she was or why. And suddenly she was nervous again, and felt vaguely like she might get sick. Her heart was beating so fast that it felt difficult to breathe, and he stopped so suddenly that Hermione almost ran into the Malfoy Patriarch. They were standing in front of another set of doors, and it seemed as if Mr. Malfoy was about to open them, when he suddenly paused. "'Miss Granger,' he began, "'my son seems to be quite fond of you, and my wife shares that sentiment. I trust her judgment. My family is in your debt. And yet must ask you not to take Draco's intentions lightly. I am aware that Muggles have very different customs, and that as a Muggle-born, our traditions might seem… different. Should you decide that this is not something you wish to pursue, let him know.' Seemingly satisfied with his statement, Mr. Malfoy merely opened the doors, to reveal an even more elaborate garden than the one leading to the manor. Had they really walked through the entire house, Merlin, no wonder she was out of breath. As if sensing her apprehension, Lucius Malfoy motioned for her to go ahead. Hesitantly, Hermione stepped out of the manor and into a wide stone terrace that overlooked the grounds. The doors closed behind her with a soft thud, granting her privacy. She hadn't truly realized just how far the ground sprawled, but there was a private Quidditch pitch in the distance, and from the looks of it, it was certainly tournament-sized. And yes, that seemed to be unicorns grazing near it. Ron would lose his mind, and Harry wouldn't be able to contain himself, immediately asking for a broom. But Hermione had very little interest in the breathtaking scenery, as her eyes zeroed in on a small gathering of chairs strategically placed underneath the parasol that provided enough shade to withstand the midday heat. Sitting in one of the chairs, a stack of books and a tall pitcher of lemonade on the table in front of him, was Draco. He hadn't noticed her too absorbed in whatever he was reading. And to the despair of her poor heart, he was wearing a black suit, but had discarded the jacket and rolled up the sleeves of his white shirt. She briefly worried she might faint just glancing at the exposed forearms. You're not a Victorian maiden about to faint at the sight of some naked skin? Hermione scolded herself. If anything, he is. Convinced that she would not need smelling salts to get over the mere picture Draco Malfoy made by lounging in the shade and reading, Hermione straightened her shoulders and gathered all her remaining Gryffindor courage to approach him. Merlin, the wizard had as good as proposed to her. She had no reason to be nervous. Still, her heart was drumming against her ribs as she approached him, and had it not been for the anti-apparition wards, she might have run after all. But it was too late now, because the clicking of her heels had caught his attention. Hermione held her breath as Draco's gaze snapped up from his book, and for a second they simply stared at each other. Then his eyes widened almost comically, and his mouth dropped open. Immediately he jumped to his feet and took a step towards her, only to pause again. She saw how he swallowed convulsively as his gaze raked over her, lingering on the neckline of her dress and the short hem. Hermione made a silent vow to never leave the house without Lavender Brown's approval. Hi. It took her a second to realize that it had been her who had said it, because her voice sounded high and breathy, and not at all as confident as she had imagined when she had meticulously gone through all the different scenarios of how meeting him again could have played out. Those forearms had really caught her off guard. Hello. Draco cleared his throat. You. I mean, you're here. Should I not be? A hint of uncertainty was forming in the pit of her stomach, and she instinctively took a step back. Why had she come to see him? She should have just written a letter. That way the rejection wouldn't have stung so much. That's not what I meant. Draco interrupted her spiraling thoughts. I just didn't think you would want to come back. After everything that happened here. His voice trailed off. Oh. She nervously tucked a strand of hair behind her ear. I think I'm fine as long as I stay away from your drawing room. Good, that's good. He nodded, but didn't say anything else. An awkward silence settled between them, stretching until he couldn't bear it any more. I should leave, Hermione said, hastily turning around. She was eager to hike back through the manor and out the front gate, so she could return to grimald Place and add a few days of pitiful crying and wallowing in her heartbreak to her far-too-empty schedule. Wait. Warm fingers closed around her arm, holding her in place. Don't leave. Please. His voice was quiet and pleading mind, he couldn't have resisted him, even if she had tried. Not that she wanted to. Not when he was finally touching her again. His hand wandered from her arm, to her shoulder, to her neck, caressing her curls softly. His other hand cupped her jaw, carefully tilting up her head so she was forced to look at him. The expression in his eyes chased away all anxiety and doubt. He still looked at her like he had outside the room of requirement like a blind man seeing the sun for the first time. A small, hesitant smile tugged on her lips, and he mirrored it with an equally hesitant one. I wanted to write to you, he said quietly, after the battle, and after the trial, but I didn't want half the Ministry reading them, so I never... When Mother finished a sentence, she told me she would write to you. I asked her to include something from me. His fingers traced across the diamond pendant that was nestled right between the swell of her breasts. A shiver raced down her spine as he brushed against the skin, and she had to force herself to keep breathing. You're wearing it. And the bracelet. Drago wet his lips quickly. I wasn't sure if you still wanted... after what happened at Hogwarts. I thought I made myself clear outside the room of requirement. I don't have a husband yet. Hermione didn't care about the slight quiver in her voice. I know, but then I left you. The words were heavy with guilt and regret. It made her instinctively reach for him, her fingers closing around his wrist and covering part of the unsightly faded dark mark. She had seen it often enough in the dreams caused by the horcrux that it didn't make her flinch. Because I told you to. If you hadn't, he would have killed your parents. And that wasn't a risk I was willing to take. You needed to go back to them, to save their lives. I understood it then, and I understand it now. And I never held it against you. Hermione insisted quietly, and her smile widened when he huffed out a quiet laugh. No wonder my mother is so taken with you. Amusement laced his words. She told me she would invite you for tea, and force me to attend, should I not write to you soon. And my mother never makes empty threats. This time she laughed as well. Harry threatened to invite you for dinner, and tie me to a chair so I couldn't hide. Draco grimaced slightly. Father wouldn't have allowed me to refuse. Something about forging connections with the saviour of the wizarding world, and raising the public's opinion of the family again. Even if it means getting acquainted with a Weasley. Not a word against the Weasleys. Ron is my friend, Hermione reminded him. And Ginny is as well. I'm very fond of them. And... Will they still be your friends if they find out about us? He asked quietly, and that made her heart beat hard enough that she worried he might be able to feel it where his fingers were still resting on the pendant. There was an us for him. Ron already knows. And he said that although he can't understand it, he accepts it. Hermione purposely didn't mention Ginny, or the rest of the Weasleys. Jinny would either be ecstatic and hole her with filthy questions about what Draco was hiding underneath those ridiculously well tailored suits, or she would give her the silent treatment while she came to terms with the relationship. Arthur would probably be the most accepting, although the thought of becoming somewhat closely acquainted with Lucius Malfoy and sharing a grandchild with him, because Arthur was for all intents and purposes like a second father to her, might be enough to send him into a state of temporary shock. Molly would pose the biggest hurdle. Although now that Ron was happy with Lavender, and she saw a very real possibility of getting another grandchild in the next few years, she would probably just be relieved that Hermione didn't pose a threat to their relationship, if she had a significant other as well. Not that Hermione had any interest in getting between Ron and Lavender. Now that they didn't call each other "One One" and Lav-Lav, they were downright pleasant to be around. Others won't be so accepting, Draco warned, even as he took another step closer to her. My past, and the mark on my arm, will impact your reputation. I stopped caring about something as ridiculous as my reputation years ago. I helped win a war, and I got an order of Merlin First Class for it. History books won't care about whom I date. Besides, the papers will be far too busy fawning over Harry and Ginny, and wondering when he finally pops the question. And then, they will speculate about the wedding of the century, and what kind of flower arrangements Harry Potter's favours she said off-handedly, but Draco shook his head. You're cute if you think Porter's wedding will be the wedding of the century. My mother has been planning my wedding from the moment I was born. She will not be upstaged by anyone. He said seriously, and Hermione laughed again. Having seen just how headstrong Narcissa Malfoy was, she didn't doubt his words one bit. Aren't you getting ahead of yourself? You promised to court my socks off first, she dared to tense, taking delight in the way his eyes glinted as they wandered over her bare legs. I would, but it seems that I already succeeded, Draco hummed. Tell me, do you plan on always wearing muggle clothing like that? I don't know, Hermione said, slightly out of breath. It depends on whether or not it's working in my favor. His answer was very clear, yes, as he finally lowered his head and brushed a kiss against her lips. Goosebumps spread across her body followed by a pleased shiver that made her nerves sing with pleasure. Hermione sunk into the kiss with a sigh, tangling her fingers into the soft material of his shirt as she pulled him closer. It's real, it's real, it's real, her heart seemed to sing as it fluttered in her chest, and she was overwhelmed by just how right it felt. There had never been a reason to worry. Whatever it was between them, it had not nearly been means to escape the war. It was far deeper than that, real in a sense that could only be explained by magic. Another kiss, this time deeper as his tongue brushed against her lips and dipped into her mouth. He tasted like lemon and something crisp like apples, something she had grown addicted to the moment he had kissed her at the end of their third year, when he had stolen her first kiss. Who would have thought that punching him would lead to all of this? Maybe she should write an advice column for Witch Weekly. How to find your perfect wizard in three punches or less? But all thoughts of articles and punching wizards left her mind when his tongue brushed against her own, because then there was only him, and his hands in her hair, on her neck, running down her body and pulling her close to him, until she was pressed against his hard chest. Her toes curled inside her shoes as he gently nipped her tongue. He swallowed her breathy sigh eagerly, responding with a hoarse moan when she shifted slightly and accidentally brushed against something firm that bumped against her stomach magic fizzled between them seemingly dancing over their skin as they lost themselves in their little world and hermione had entirely forgotten where they were until his hand wandered up her thigh and slipped underneath the short hem of her dress because there was a knocking sound as if someone had wrapped their knuckles against a window immediately draco's hand disappeared and he pulled back with a small groan she got a quick glimpse of two high blotches of pink on his sharp cheekbones then he had already hidden his face in her neck His hands were back on her waist, his thumb drawing small circles on her hip bone, while they both caught their breath. What? Hermione wondered, dazedly trying to turn her head to make out the origin of the noise that had interrupted them, but Draco shook his head. My parents, he explained, and Hermione's cheeks began to flame at the realization that they were being watched. Father has made it very clear that if I were to pursue you... I have to still hone our traditions and customs and not use your lack of familiarity with pure blood culture as an opportunity for undue behavior. She should have known that his parents were traditional. Otherwise, they wouldn't have raised their son in a manner that made him blush when he saw an exposed collarbone. However, she hadn't expected Lucius Malfoy to be persistent that Draco treat her like some pure blood heiress. And what do these traditions and customs dictate? I will not walk around with a chaperone. Hermione said decisively and shuddered when he laughed into her neck. His breath caressed her sensitive skin in an almost painfully delightful way. They're not that traditional. Besides, Draco pulled back so he could meet her eyes again, and the grin on his lips promised trouble of the best sort. I'm a Slytherin, am I not? There will be ample opportunity for rule-breaking love. Oh, Merlin, she was in deep, deep trouble. Not that she was complaining. Trouble in the form of Draco Malfoy was exactly what she wanted.